right up front, I need to apologize for this. This is going to be harder on you than me today. Uh, the sermon will be a bit shorter, but it's going to be excruciating, okay? <laughs> and I'm sorry. I was out in the wind, and I think whatever dust blew through here Friday and Saturday stayed in my throat, and my voice is somewhere south of Abilene, so we're going we're gonna to look for it later. So this is on you a little bit. You're going to have to pay closer attention this morning, and so I'm going to do my best. You're going to do your best. And the Lord is going to speak to us this morning from his word. Amen. Let's, um, and I'm going to drink a lot of water while I'm preaching. And so we may need a break about eight minutes in. Okay. And uh, if we have to, we have to. I want to talk about Christmas this morning. Um, Christmas is a weird holiday. It's weird because it's a Christian holy day. But at the same time, it's a very major secular holiday, right? So in our American culture, Christmas is the biggest holiday, but it's also religious. So we've got millions and millions of people all celebrating Christmas at the same time, but they're doing it in two different ways. And that's a little strange. And it can also be um, somewhat disconcerting or maybe even uh, discomforting. Christians are noticing, I think, more and more that the public expressions of Christmas avoid any mention of Jesus whatsoever. We've, we've picked up on that, right? It's a winter festival, it's a happy holiday, but it's not a Merry Christmas anymore. It's a time for family, it's a time for giving, it's a time for joy and peace, but it's not a time for worship or for church. And Christians, we notice things like that. The background music in the stores is much less joy to the world and more grandma got run over by a reindeer. And we, we've picked up on that, right? Um, the National Culture and Media Institute is reporting, check this out, 98.7% of all the news stories out there about Christmas do not mention Christ. So out of all the news stories that you see on TV or in your Facebook feed, well, maybe not all your Facebook feeds, but on TV for sure, and, and that you read in magazines, only 1.3% of the stories about Christmas mention Christ. They talk about holiday travel, holiday economics, holiday food, holiday weather, but they don't mention Jesus. On the flip side, the non-religious among us are complaining that church is intruding on the season. Christians are forcing their beliefs and practices on people who don't care or who don't want it. And I'm reading everywhere that there's an increasing number of non-Christians who are saying that religious expressions in December are actually oppressive and intrusive. They want the songs, but not the songs about the baby in the manger. They want peace and joy without the religion. And it can be a little confusing and it can lead to some questions. And I think the questions are good questions like, why do we do Christmas? And is Christmas a religious holiday or not? And does it really matter? Can't we just have Christmas without the religion? Well, I mean, we could. But it doesn't really work that way. 
All the ancient connections and origins are right there. It's the very foundation of Christmas. Christ, it's in the name, right? So you can't have Christmas without Christ. And so, yes, we believe it matters. And if you'll hear us out over the next two or three Sundays, I think that you'll see it's really all very good news. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about Christmas charity. There is a reason people feel more generous in December. There's a reason for that. It's a spiritual impulse, and we should pay attention to it. And then the following Sunday is Christmas Eve, December 24. We're not going to have any Bible classes. Um, we're going to meet in here, the whole church, at 1015 for a Christmas Eve service, candlelight service. It's going to be a great morning, so I want you all back on December 24 for sure. And on that day, we're going to talk about Christmas gifts. There's a reason we all give gifts to each other at Christmas time, and it's bigger than you think. Today, though, we're going to talk about Christmas lights. Welcome to the show. Man, I can watch stuff like that for like 52 seconds. That's it. That's it. And I love Christmas lights. I mean, we hang lights up all over our house the day after Thanksgiving. I love Christmas lights. The thing is, my experience is not like that house in San Antonio. My experience is more like Clark Griswold in Chicago. We're going to have the best looking house in town, Russ. I've always wanted to do this. It's a lot of lights, Dad. Yeah, well, I'm sure it's a lot of work, too, but if I'm out in the cold and I'm committed to decorating the house, I'm going to do it right, and I'm going to do it big. You want something you can be proud of, don't you? Yeah, I guess so. Sure you do. I think you might be overdoing it, Dad. Russ, when was the last time I overdid anything? Come on, unravel these. You have to check every bulb. Got a little knot here. You work on that. I'll get the other box. Wait a minute. I, I don't believe it. What's all the yelling about? What the? What's going on here? What's he doing, Clark? I haven't the foggiest.
could watch that all day long. At Christmas time, we hang lights on our houses, we string lights around our trees, we put lights in the windows. Some of y'all hook them up to your car batteries so you can light your luggage racks. I get that. Because why? Christmas isn't really Christmas without the lights. And whether they're gently twinkling on your roof or whether they're pulsating and strobing, strobing with the precision of 67 computers, they all mean something. The lights symbolize something significant. Please turn to Isaiah 9. I want you to, to follow along with me as we talk about Christmas lights this morning. Isaiah chapter 9. I'm going to begin reading in verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as people rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the days of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The people walking in darkness, it says, have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You know, we, uh, we read this. It's a very well-known Christmas text. It's a very famous, uh, famous text we've all heard a hundred times about the coming of the Christ. And it describes the conditions the Christ is coming into as darkness. People walking in darkness. People living in the land of darkness. And we do read this a lot at Christmas, but we hardly ever read the verses right before it. The verses right before it tell us why the world is so plunged in darkness. And so back up to chapter 8, verse 19, where the prophet says, When people tell you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead regarding the living? To the law, it says, and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged. And looking upward, they will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. And they will be thrust into utter darkness. People know they need help. 
But they're looking for it in all the wrong places. They're looking to the earth. They're looking to themselves for wisdom and salvation. They're looking to their superstitions. They're looking to their king. They're looking to their culture. They're looking to themselves. Yes, we are living in darkness. Yes, things are truly messed up. But we can fix it ourselves. There's war and there's violence and there's injustice and racism. But if we'll all just love each other, we can fix it. There's poverty and there's hunger and there's greed and there's lust. But if we'll all just support the correct organizations, we can change it. Yes, there are broken lives and broken hearts and broken relationships. And there are twisted bodies and warped minds. And there's institutional vileness all around us. But if we'll just vote for the right people. If we'll just pass the right laws, if we'll just use the correct technology, we can overcome this. All right, listen. See how much better that sounds? The message of the Hallmark movies, no offense, Kyle. The message of the Hallmark movies, the message of the holiday music, the message of the Coke commercials, the message of the ad agencies and the billboards and the Facebook posts is that we have it within us. All of the good and the love that exists in each one of us is enough to make the world a unified and peaceful and joyful place. In other words, we have the light inside us. If we'll all come together, we can overcome poverty and injustice and violence and evil. With what's inside us, we can build a world of love and joy and peace. Really? No. No. I'm sorry, Ruth. The answer is no. We cannot save ourselves. Amen? We've been trying for centuries. We can't do it. We don't have it within us. In fact, believing that we can save ourselves, that education or party politics or that harder work or there, there's some system or there's some ideology that can save us, that's only led to more and more darkness. See, the Christmas message gives us a very realistic way to look at life. At its core, the Christmas message is unsentimental. It's not mushy. It's not fantasy. Christmas is not, hey, cheer up. If we all pull together, we can make the world a better place. Christmas is not, let's think optimistically, like, like we can fix the whole world if everybody will just love each other. No, that is not the Christmas message. Here's the Christmas message. Things are really terrible. And we cannot heal ourselves, we cannot fix the mess, and we cannot save anybody. Things really are dark everywhere. Nevertheless, there is great hope. On those living in deep darkness, a light has dawned. It's not a great light has sprung up from the world. It's not, hey, the people finally figured it out, and now they're bringing the light. That's not what it says. It says it's on the people a light has dawned. On the world, a light is shining. The light comes from outside us 
to us. The hope we have comes from outside of the world. And that salvation light is Jesus Christ. The light is the promised Messiah. The Holy Son of God. Turn to John chapter 1. You know where that is. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. How are we doing? Okay, we're okay. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not conquered it. The true light that gives light to every person was coming into the world. The true light was coming. The eternal light that gives life to all people has come. The brightest light that shines in the darkness and conquers the darkness, this light from above has come. How? When? Where? To us a child is born. To us a son is given, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace has come to us as a baby boy born in a stable in Bethlehem. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. Although celebrate's not really the right word, it's more like we just stare at it dumbstruck. We fall to our knees in awe of it. We were lost in wonder when we consider that God himself comes to us in the flesh and blood of a human baby. He brings to us from outside of us what we simply do not possess, his righteousness, his holiness, and his peace. Jesus Christ our Lord is the brightest light and he has come in the midst of the darkness, shining. Jesus, light of the world, shine upon us. Set us free by the truth you now bring us. Shine on me. Shine on us. In Luke chapter 1, John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, Praises God when it's revealed to him that the Christ is going to be born in a few short weeks. It's like, man, he's almost here, you know. And Zechariah starts singing, praise be to the Lord, verse 68. The God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. To rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear. Verse 77, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. When I drink, you should say amen. <laughs> amen. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, I think it's verse 30, the last verse in that chapter, Jesus Christ has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, and our salvation. Jesus says it himself, John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have 
the light of life. Now, you know, light isn't really what you see. Think about this for a second. When you go into a dark room and you flip on the light, you don't see light. What you see is, oh, there's the coffee table that's going to murder my toe if I run into that, right? There's the edge of the wall that's going to take out half my face. I'm glad I can see it, right? You see it by the light. The light allows you to see what's real. The light is what allows you to see what's really happening. And so Jesus Christ as our light allows us to see very clearly now what God is doing in our world. We see Jesus and he is the light that that shows us, hey, God really is reconciling. God really is restoring. God's healing people. God is forgiving people. He's restoring broken lives. He's, he's bringing dead people back to life. He's, he's feeding the hungry. He's defending the accused. Jesus is the brightest light. And he shines in our world so we can see God at work. Our God is calming the sea. He is driving out demons. He is turning empty jars into overflowing containers of joy. God is the only one who can fix the world, and he can fix your world. He can fix you and me and us, and he has come to us in Jesus Christ to do just that. He's moved here. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. Amen. One more. One more. Here's the home stretch. Are y'all still with me? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. All right. Here we go. Listen, there's a difference between advice and news. Okay? There's a difference. Advice is counsel about what you should do. News is a report about what's already been done. Advice tells you to make something happen. News tells you something's already happened. News, or advice, says you need to act. News says somebody else has already acted. Let's say there's an invading army coming to town, and they're going to destroy this town, right? What does that town need? That town needs some advisors, That town is going to need some military advisors. We need advice. We need somebody to say, okay, the trench works need to go there. You need to position your soldiers over here. We need snipers up there. You need to move your tanks over here. If you want to be saved, if you want to avoid destruction, these are the things you need to do. We need advice. But what if, what if a strong and mighty and powerful king intercepts that army? And destroys that army before it lays a hand on us. What do we need then? We don't need advisors. We need messengers. The Greek word for messenger is angelos. Angels. And what did the angels come to do? They didn't say, hey, in order to be saved, you need to do this. No, the angels say, I bring you good news of great joy. That shall be for all the people. For to you, for you today is born in the city of David a Savior. He is Jesus Christ the Lord. 
In other words, stop running. Stop hiding. Stop building fortresses and stockpiling weapons. Stop trying to save yourself. The king has already done it. The king has already come and you are saved. Church, listen to me. Something has happened. Something has been done. And it totally changes everything. And we sing glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to all people. You know, there's a reason we put candles in our windows. There's a reason we hang lights on our houses and string lights around, around our trees. It comes straight out of the Bible. Straight from God to you, to us. And so, may the brightness of all those Christmas lights remind us that the light has dawned. The brightest light that gives life to all people. And may the warm glow of the Christmas lights point to the forgiveness and the acceptance and the holiness of our God. And may the beauty of all the lights open our eyes to his eternal and matchless love and grace. Amen. Let's stand together, church. Let's sing.